Hey, Haley. Yeah, Alyssa? Are you ready to change the narrative around women's sports? Let's do it. You are listening to Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski, and this is the Iron Women Podcast, a production from Live Feisty Media. Haley and Alyssa are longtime professional triathletes and coaches. Between them, they have completed more than 50 iron distance races and just as many 70.3s. Their accomplished careers include nine professional wins and one fastest known time. Haley, do I have to tell the listeners how many of those wins are mine? Nah, we'll keep that between us. The Iron Women podcast has a Patreon community which helps support our podcast. If you love the podcast, check us out at patreon.com forward slash livefeisty. And don't forget to tell a friend. Now, let's get to the show. Haley, can you believe that we reached the milestone of having 500,000 listens to our beautiful voices this past week? I can believe it. I think we're pretty good. I um, I am very thankful for all, well, it's not 500,000 different people, but for the 500,000 pushes of play that have occurred over the last three and three years and a couple months since I've joined you on here. And while it might not be 500,000 different people, it's certainly not 500,000 times my mom has just pressed play because even she would not be capable of doing it that many times for us. So uh, this is this is pretty exciting. It feels good to have gotten there. Yeah, it does feel good. I mean, I can't believe we've been doing this for more than three years now, more than 200 episodes. It's I mean, it's crazy when you go back and look at, at how many amazing women and a few men we've talked to over the years and I'm I'm really thankful for all of the guests we've had on the show I'm thankful for all of our listeners I'm thankful for the people who've written into our mailbag and I am thankful for our even some of our new listeners who maybe didn't hear us three years ago but hear us now and I'm thankful for your mom as well of course <laughs> you know I mean if it's only 200 listens from Alyssa's mom I will take it thank you Gina Gadeski yes she'll be very pumped for that shout out I think um Haley before we get into other stuff we have we have like a semi um redaction is that what it would be called or like update to um one thing we misspoke for last week what did we talk what did we do last week oh no well the date for the cooking show oh oh I think yes well we were we, we didn't have all the details for the cooking show last week we talked to Hannah Grant who's a professional chef and she is doing a cook cook like a pro um live event with sarah true olympian sarah true from if we were riding fame that's where she's also famous from <laughs> and her racing they are doing a cooking class it's free it's on zoom it's virtual it is happening at 11 a.m pacific time this saturday october 10th and you can sign up at um in our show notes is probably the easiest way to get that link so if you go to ironwomenpodcast.com and look in our show notes or if you go to the live feisty instagram page and you like look at the link in bio the link tree there it's um because kind of a long long address so for me to say it here but it should be a really really fun event and Alyssa, have you signed up i've heard you signed up because i know you are into cooking i signed up so i'm very excited i'm uh, going to, yeah, I'm waiting for the recipe, the ingredients and all that so I can make my grocery trip. And then I'm going to, I think I'm going to do it. I'm excited. 
That is right. Cause they will send you the what you need and then you're going to cook with them in live time. That's going to be really fun. I, um, I like, I probably need someone to come over and like teach me how to use an oven and teach me how to like <laughs> do that before it happens. But, um, so I, I may be like, maybe I'll just sign up and observe. Is that weird? Is that like voyeuristic where I'm like, oh, I'm just going to watch people cook. Totally fine. And speaking of observing Haley, I did my first, uh, shift as a poll observer this week. Oh, that's right. How did that go? It was great. Um, I encourage everyone to definitely get involved in your, you know, whatever's going on for you locally. If early voting is in person, if, um, you know, it's just a matter of encouraging other people to register to vote. I know like deadlines are happening all over the place right now. And so I had signed up through my local party to be an outside observer at the polls. And that meant I literally just got to sit in a chair on like a beautiful autumn day in Charlottesville and watch people coming to vote. And there was a steady stream of people all day. Um, I took the afternoon shift, so I was there for five hours in the afternoon. And it was, I mean, nothing, nothing happened. There was no funny business going on that I had to worry about while, um, you know, and we do things like you, you just have access to this online system and you report when lines are getting, you know, more than 20 minutes or if there's a, a like large number of people entering without masks to go vote. So that's like a concern because um, that could deter other people from going to vote. Um, and then this was like a little weird because Virginia is an open carry state. So you were also like watching for people carrying guns and going to vote. And then um, you actually aren't allowed to be open carrying going to vote. But like the voting was also at a police station. So it was very confusing um, rules around that, I guess. But um, all in all, I, I didn't see anything I needed to report. So that was encouraging. And people were super friendly. Everyone looked excited to be going to vote. And I got great insight into a lot that happens within my local party and got to meet some people and network a little bit. So it was a fun, fun afternoon. And sit outside. I wouldn't have guessed that you'd be outside. That's really, that's a nice surprise. There is an inside observer and their job is, seems a lot less nice because you don't get to sit outside and it's like a little bit more serious and like rule following because I guess you're like literally observing the people voting to make sure. So there's like a little just more to be watching, whereas I'm just watching people walking in and out and making sure things seem right, you know. Um, but if you can sign up to be an outside observer, it was great. That is pretty cool. We are all vote by mail in my county here in Montana primarily. So I I will be voting by the mail and I usually take it with me. I live fairly close to the courthouse where you can drop it off. And so I just walk down there tie you know leave cowboy outside and drop it in the box <laughs> that's that's typically what I do um and it's pretty easy I actually really like voting I, I used to really like voting in person just like the kind of the ceremony of it but voting by mail is quite nice just because you can kind of take your time and if you need to like google anyone and just make sure like you're not you know if you're uncertain it's really really easy to look things up and you can take however much time you want so I am a fan of that yeah. It, do your homework. I would say that's one thing that I did take away from people who were going to vote is that there were a couple amendments on our ballot here um, this like this time to vote for. And I would say it seemed like close. I mean, of the people, um, you know, coming through, I was also near the tent um, with the Democratic Party. So they had like um, information to be giving out to people. So I was able to like watch that as it was happening. And it seemed like 
I would say close to 90, if not more, percent of the voters had really no idea what was going on with the amendments. And so that's something that like you can definitely research at home and do a quick, you know, search online about kind of the ins and outs of those things and, and you know, come prepared because it is a hard thing. Like um, they were actually taking a neutral stance. So they couldn't even like really help people too much with um, what they were. So people I felt like in some instances were just um, definitely a little confused. But remember, there is more things often on your ballot. So just look into them before you go, but definitely go vote. Yeah, you can find a sample ballot usually if you go to like your secretary of state website, but exciting times. I'm glad. Thank you for volunteering, Alyssa. I appreciate it. And what else has been going on? Anything fun in Charlottesville? Well, Haley, Matt and I did not wake up early to watch the London Marathon, but we did set the thing to record for the women's race. And did you catch the race or did you please? I hope you at least have seen the recap of the finish of the podium for the women's race in the London Marathon. I I watched the replay. I thought about staying up actually because I was up later than I wished I was on Saturday night. And it was, I think it started around midnight in Montana. So I could have said them like midnight to like a little past 2 a.m. and watched it. <laughs> but um, but I did actually need to get up and ride my bike the next day. So I, I slept in and then I checked it in the morning. But that was a fantastic finish. Sarah Hall. Oh my goodness. What a kick. I mean, Haley, so we actually sat and like watched the entire race. And I mean, it was, first of all, it's hard to run a marathon that fast, period. It's got to be very hard to run a marathon that fast when there's cardboard cutouts being your fans. Like, I mean, around the same wet, rainy loop in London, these women were just so impressive, like game faces on racing. And Sarah Hall, man, her credit, like she fell off from the group she was running with and people were saying like, you know, um, you know, Dina Castor's announcing and she's basically like, there's not, you know, she can't come back from this and, you know, kind of like making, you know, amends for this race that Sarah was having. Because I think people wanted to see her have a great race and, you know, they didn't think it was happening. And then all of a sudden, like it was happening. And even then, like the announcers couldn't believe it. She starts coming back and it's just like one of those moments where you are, you're like screaming at your TV, like this is really happening. This is why we love sports. Right. And it, uh, you know, it, it made me excited to like, I don't know, start racing again and that competitive juices and things like that. Uh, so thank you to Sarah Hall. I'm sure she's probably not one of our 500,000 listens quite yet, but, um, you know, that was definitely very inspiring. If you haven't caught the end of the London, do a quick like YouTube search or something and get, you know, maybe the last 10 minutes of the race to, to watch that come in and, um, really, really cool moment in sports. I saw a tweet from Lindsay Krauss from the New York times that Sarah Hall DNF'd her last two marathons, which I believe were like New York and then the Olympic trials and then came back to finish second in London. And I think that is, that's a cool story as well, because we haven't all DNF races, but I think we've all been struggling. I think everyone's been struggling a lot during these last couple of months because the world is not how it usually is. And, and so I think that that, that can be kind of a testament to like, you can have some hard times and probably have times when you, you are wonder if you're ever going to be able to make it to a finish line. And then you make it to a finish line faster than you ever have before in very less than ideal circumstances. So congrats to, to Sarah Hall. Then Molly Seidel who finished sixth, I believe, um, you know, the second place runner up at the Olympic trials running her second marathon ever having a fantastic race there as well. The American women were very strong in London. 
And Haley, I read so Fast Women newsletter um, comes out weekly, and Allison, who writes that, writes about um, kind of the ins and outs of a lot of the running world and the the women and what they're doing. And Molly's next race, I'm a little disappointed I'm not still in San Diego because I read that her next race is the Elliptico World Championships, and she's racing up Mount Palomar, which I've ridden my bike up now when I was at camp um, in San Diego last January. Mount Palomar is like legit, like it's a mountain. Um, I cannot, I've never ridden an elliptigo. I can't really imagine riding an elliptigo up Mount Palomar, but I do. I kind of wish I was there because I would absolutely go watch that race. I think, you know, it's a, I guess it's like a pretty common race. A lot of these, a lot of people kind of go do for fun. There's no prize money or anything. I think it's just something like a type two fun event that people like to do, but I think that's Molly's next race coming up. I've never ridden an elliptigo either. And I'm curious. I think I'm glad they're just going up. They're not going down as well. Because if you if it's as scary as you say, like I can't imagine going down on like, an, like do they have good brakes? <laughs> Great question. It is, I mean, it's like, it, yeah, it's not like a descent like a Mount Lemon where it's like sweeping turns and you could probably make it on an elliptigo. I, it would, yeah, I don't think the turning radius on one of those things would really hmm. handle the like the switchback area quite so I well. I hope so. they can live stream this though. I, I would love to watch this one too. I'm like, I'm like the the things we can do with camera phones these days. Let's let's get a live feed going for the Elliptico World Championships. Haley, maybe if you're lucky, I will send you a live feed of my first Zwift racing action that's going to happen this week. I uh, am getting back on my bike a little bit with training, and I. Um, I'm going to try some Zwift racing. And so I'm curious to see what this is all about. This is like, yeah, I haven't done it yet. I know it's been hyped up. I had, I had actually tried once and I had a very bad experience trying to do a Zwift ride probably two or three years ago now. Um, and so I'm back. I'm going to try it again. I'm going to give it like a real honest effort and, and try and use it as like some way to get my bike legs back under me and some competition. So we'll see. Um, but maybe I'll give you like a private private stream for like the first one because I'm not sure how it's going to go how long is the race is it time or is it distance are you all racing on the same course well great question so I I signed up to do this one and Matt's like Alyssa you picked like race up Vent Vento Vento in France right like the mountain and so, so climb. I'm yeah like he's like hill. right and so he's like this isn't gonna be an hour it's like a 15 mile all uphill and I was like oh no so um I'm in for, I'm but I was like committed I'm gonna do this one and um, so yeah, it's a 15 mile climb essentially for my first one Thursday. I'm going to try and do more of like a proper sprint one where like, I'll have to figure out the drafting and things like that. So who are you racing? Just anyone? Can anyone sign up for these races or are they so, pros only? Yes. So this is, I'll have more details. I'm hoping to be racing in like a league. Um, but I have to apparently do like two Zwift races and finish them to be able to be eligible for this league. And I'm still figuring out all the lingo. So I'll get it all figured out for you. And tell you about that next week, I guess. Okay. But I am, I think these races are open. Um, anyone can join. So hopefully, yeah, if I like it and it sticks, then maybe some of our 500,000 listeners will join me on Zwift. Well, good luck, Alyssa. I can't wait to, uh, I can't wait to uh, hear how that goes. Enjoy your, your foray. This is like your first virtual bike race, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I can't imagine it's going to go well, Haley, but um, <laughs> it'll be a story at least. And 
it will like for sure if it doesn't go well it will be inspiration for me to start riding my bike again and because I think it's going to be painful I have my Zelios race relief um, cream ready for that post Zwift burn that I heal here is going to happen my thought was more the uh, betwixt chamois cream might be more what you need <laughs> for as someone who who loves the trainer and spends lots of time in the trainer you know apply that betwixt liberally <laughs> just you know I, you want to be as comfortable as you can in that saddle although if you're climbing the whole time you might be like out of the saddle the whole time maybe you should just do it in jeans live stream it in jeans you're just out of the saddle the whole time I know I know smash Bros. queen might not love that but it'd be pretty funny right I mean I'm sure it would then get you me, would probably also need the twigs but maybe in different areas <laughs> but yeah for anyone else gearing up for um zwifting with me maybe uh you can get your Zelios products at 15% off with the code ironwomen at teamzelios.com. Alyssa, do we have any mailbag questions this week? Haley, we do. So we have a question that came in from Kimberly and Kimberly has a couple questions. The first one is about registration opening for a lot of these 2021 races, Tremblant, Canada, Wisconsin, Lake Placid, these Ironmans are all opening up for registration, but like, 2020, most of those were canceled. So those registrations were rolling over to 2021. So she's curious about how new spots will be available for new entrants. So it should, there should be like some spots, but how do we know how many and will they allow more people on the starting line? Are they limiting who can register? She has a lot of questions about if we knew anything about this process. And Kimberly, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I'm pretty sure Haley doesn't know anything more than I do either. <laughs> I don't, I don't have any good information. No insight. Iron Man does not call me and tell me what they're doing. Actually, I did see, maybe it was a tweet from Iron Man saying there was only like 15 slots left for Penticton, for Iron Man Canada and Penticton. So it does seem like they probably did not release as many general like entries as they normally would because they had those rollover slots. I'm sure they're using some kind of like mathematical equation where they think how many people will actually do the race rollover, you know, how many they should sell. I'm sure there's some kind of behind the scenes math on like how, how many they expect. Um, and, and then I, I'm sure there's also people who are hesitant to sign up for 2021 races. Cause you're still putting hundreds of dollars out there for a race that you're not sure is going to happen and you still got to front that money. So I, I mean, it's, it's a weird market right now. Yeah. But Kimberly, if you, um, do find out, like maybe shoot Iron Man an email about some of these questions, um, definitely do let us know just right back to the mailbag, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. But you had another great question because you were thinking about your first full Iron Man finish. Congratulations. It was a year ago around this time at Iron Man Chattanooga. And you were wondering about the pros and cons of going back to a course that you're already familiar with. You know, the logistics of the travel, the accommodations, the course layout, et cetera. And rather than picking maybe a new Ironman to do for 2021 and having to figure all of that out again. So great question. Actually, this is like kind of an age old debate, I would say, because it's so tempting to pick a new course. But at the same time, a lot of those things that come with the new race can bring a lot of stress and anxiety to like something that's already pretty stressful. So I don't know, Haley, what do you think? I love going back to races. I love it because there is, it just feels like sometimes it can feel like going home almost. I know that's kind of weird 
weird thing, but like finding where you're going to eat, where you're going to stay. If you had a good experience before and you figured out all those logistics, it will make the second time a lot easier. If you know the course, it makes it just mentally a lot easier. I think sometimes you might know people in the city and you get to see them again and that can be really fun or, um, just, I think there are a lot of benefits to, to racing the same course again. And no, we can't necessarily compare year to year because the conditions, the weather, the wind can be very different, but you can, it's a a better comparison than if you race like two separate courses in two different parts of the world. I, I love traveling and I love using triathlon as a way to see the world. And so, yes, there are times when I'm like, oh, you know, like, throw caution into the wind and just like, let's go do something new and realize that it's going to be challenging and we're going to be doing all crazy things. But then when I find a place that I love, I love going back. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So I'd say Kimberly, maybe think about like your goals with the race, you know, like, are you really gunning for an age group spot? Are you just going to like, um, enjoy kind of the race atmosphere and finish? Like what's your ultimate goal? Um, I think, the more competitive you want to be, it definitely can pay off to going back to a city and a course that you know and don't have that extra layer of stress. So um, let us know. Yeah, keep us posted with what you pick too on that. And other people, we are getting some good mailbag questions in again. So thank you for sending those. If you have them, please send them to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Alyssa, we do have an interview this week. This one's a fun one. It's a little bit different. Haley, yes. So we bring on Rhea Coble this week. Rhea was, this is so exciting because I love talking about Eco Challenge. Rhea was on the second place team at Eco Challenge, um, the world's toughest race that is the series that caused like quite a commotion this summer as everyone watched on Amazon Prime. So Rhea was second team at Eco Challenge. She was also the 2017 and 2018 world's toughest mutter champion. And she has like a wealth of information about um, obstacle course racing, adventure racing, trail running even now. So she talks to us all about all of that, as well as her background in elite sport and how she transitioned to where she is now. So we will talk to Rhea after a word from our sponsors. Okay, Alyssa, it's quiz time. Please tell me which noon hydration product I should be drinking during the following scenarios. First up, a two hour hard bike workout. Ooh, I'd go with noon endurance because you need some carbs for that. All right, second question, an easy shakeout swim. Probably some noon sport, keep it light. What about working from home? Noon sport yet again. Final question, a three-day, 16-hour, fastest known time attempt on the 46 high peaks of the Adirondacks. I'd definitely say noon instant for sure. All the electrolytes, please. Ding, ding, ding. You got them all right, Alyssa. And I think it's obvious there's a noon hydration product for every time in life. Iron Women podcast listeners can try them all and get 30% off using the code livefeisty at noonlife.com. Again, that's livefeisty, all one word with a capital L and a capital F. Use that code for 30% off any purchase at noonlife.com. Haley, it only took a global pandemic for me to realize how much I truly appreciated swimming and to make open water swimming something I am actually eager to do. Then you'll be super excited for our new 2020 partnership with Orca Wetsuits. Alyssa, you and our listeners can get 15% off at orca.com with the code IRONWOMEN15. This is meant to be. 
My first wetsuit I raced in was an orca wetsuit, actually, so I already know I like them. I've been trying out their swim-run wetsuit. Soon I'll have no excuse not to race one of those events. Thanks to Orca for getting us set up to tackle all the open water swim action. Don't forget, that's code IRONWOMEN15 at orca.com. Hi, Rhea. Thank you for joining us on Iron Women today. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is exciting. So at first glance, if someone's like looking at your resume, you're pretty much the embodiment of everything that would come to mind if someone thinks of Iron Woman. You have done <laughs> obstacle racing to eco challenge to sky running like you've done it all. And so we want to start with getting our listeners familiar with your background. Um, you, you are Sylvanian, currently living in Boulder, Colorado, I believe. And you came to the U.S. for college where you attended Stanford University. So what was it about Stanford that brought you over? Is this like something that's unique for a woman from Sylvania to come to the U.S. for higher education? Or how did that even shake out? Yeah, I actually came to Berkeley for undergrad, and then I did oh, okay. my graduate school at Stanford. But um, I think, so when I was little, I was a gymnast. And so growing up, like, everybody knew me as a gymnast. That was, like, kind of my identity. And then I had to quit when I was about 17. Um, and, like, the whole thing, what I knew what I was, basically kind of, I had to build from scratch something else. And so going to United States for college seemed like a good fresh start, like, really far away from what I associated with like my gymnastics life and somewhere new when nobody knew me as a gymnast. So I feel like it was kind of the lure of something new, something I've never been. And I like just Googled the pictures of like California and UC Berkeley and it seemed really pretty. <laughs> so when I have the, when I had the opportunity to go, um, it was really a no brainer decision. And I want to ask, I need a couple of definitions here. We start talking about obstacle course racing. Can you tell me the <laughs> difference between like a Spartan race and a world's toughest mudder? Yeah. So um, the obstacle course racing is sort of the sport and then different brands are like Spartan and Tough Mudder and Savage Race and some other smaller ones. Um, and so it just basically every brand sets the rules for what the race is going to be like. And so, for example, for Spartan Race, um, all of the obstacles have to be completed by yourself. There's no assistance required. There's no assistance allowed. And if you fill an obstacle, you have to do burpees, um, 30 burpees as a penalty. And then for the Tough Mudder, um, like the help is encouraged. And a lot of the obstacles you actually can complete by yourself. So you need to have somebody to hoist you up because the wall is just too tall. And if you don't make it, then there's usually a running penalty for the obstacle. And then some obstacle course races are mandatory completion where you have this like wristband. And unless you make the obstacle, you can't continue and if you choose to do it unranked, then they would cut your wristband and you can just do it for fun, but you wouldn't be ranked at the end. So um, that's kind of like every brand kind of makes their own rules. And right now there's no governing body that would set what each what the rules are across the sport. And so you are at Stanford getting your master's degree in mater material science and engineering. How did obstacle course racing, how did you get started in that? Um, that was the time when I was actually just trail running. I wasn't doing anything else really. Um, and so like a group of friends, we found a group on for the Spartan race. And so we figured we'd give it a try. Um, and I quickly realized I'm really good at it um, because it kind of combined gymnastics, which is what I grew up with, and trail running, which is what I was doing um, at the time. It was like my outlet to like de-stress and everything. So that's kind of, kind of how the two started. And then 
the obstacle course racing just kind of grew. And so I decided I was actually enrolled in a PhD as well um, to just quit the PhD when I was done with the master's and um, try and see what happens if I try to be a full-time athlete. <laughs> and so and you did really well. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, so you're, you're like, oh, I found out I was kind of good at it. And I'm like, okay, but wait. So we, we <laughs> dug up something. So in your first two years when you were doing this, like as a pro athlete, you – you ran over 50 races, you won 25 of them, and you were on the podium for almost all of the remainder. Um, in 2017 and 2018, you were the world's toughest mutter champion, and you hold the record along with Amelia Boone. I'm not sh- does this still stand for the most miles by a woman at the world's toughest mutter with 90 miles? Yeah, that still stands. Um, and I guess like there's a caveat there when it moves venues, it can become a very different race. So when we set the record, it was in Atlanta. It was in Las Vegas, which is like very dirt packed and very runnable. And then it moved to Atlanta, which was like muddy and steep and slippery and cold. So like it's really hard. It's not quite apples to apples. So I feel like right now people have a harder time because it's at a harder venue. I still give you the credit. It's good with us. And so <laughs> and it says that you have also and 90 miles in 24 hours, yeah. right? which is like pretty good on any terrain even like and then you add in obstacles that's well, fast actually, that was fast. that's the race where the penalty is running and oh. that was I didn't have a lot of upper body strength so I like ran a lot of penalty miles which don't count towards your final mile so I think I went like 120 miles total because a lot of it just didn't count <laughs> it was just me falling off of things and having to run instead so do you like and you mentioned in Spartan racing the penalty can be burpees too if you prefer to take the penalty because you're like, well, I'm really good at burpees or I'm really good at, you know, I'm better at running. Do you have to at least attempt once before you try? Or could you just like, you know, and you're just taking the penalty from the start? There's like an honest attempt. Um, but at some point, like when you're doing the 24 hour races, an honest attempt of climbing a rope to me is just like being, this is unsafe. <laughs> so it's kind of like your judgment. Um, but yeah, you, you can take the penalty. That's interesting. So, and we also saw that you, I don't, you know, maybe this has changed since the stat was there, but have never lost a race that is eight hours or longer. So you certainly have like Yeah, you did more than just kind of find out you were a little bit good at it, I would say. And it's a huge (laughs) amount of success in a short amount of time. And it's like a really, you know, kind of an interesting sport. And it's like this athleticism is something that I think a lot of people are kind of finding as these sports are kind of booming and like more people are getting into obstacle racing and things like that. So what has it been like to have that much success in a short amount of time as the like whole sport is just kind of swelling and growing with you I feel like when I started the first year the the competition was like every year I feel like competition grew so the first year when I started I placed a certain way in like different venues and then I thought I got a lot better and so next year I was like okay well last year I was fifth here this year with my like I'm not gonna feel obstacles so maybe I'll podium but I was still fifth and I feel like what happens is every year you get new people who are really, really good and everybody kind of figures out how to train for things. And so everybody's getting better. And I think what's changed over the race is just the years is just that now, like back the first year when I started, um, if you had like, if the race venue was to your strengths, you could have a bad day and still win. Like, I feel like now with the way the competition is, the race has to be, the venue has to be playing to your strengths. You have to have an incredible day and you have to be a little bit lucky to win. Um, so I feel like that's like part of the growing of the sport is just, it's, it's getting a lot harder competition on the elite level. 
Um, and I feel like more and more people are getting into the sport. Um, so it's like in a way getting more exciting because you have to really, you have to really hone down all of your weaknesses have to become strengths basically now to win. What about women's participation, especially at the elite level? Do you feel like you have an additional responsibility as a female leader in the sport? Yeah, I actually feel like obstacle course racing is like one of the more equal sports in a way. Um, I feel like male and female fields always sell out. Um, I did like this year with all of the obstacle courses races canceled, I did more bike racing and I noticed like the gender gap there is very obvious. Whereas for obstacle course racing, there's many times when women are in the top 10 of the whole finish. Um, And I, I feel like it's just the obstacles... I feel like it's very like level playing field in a way. Um, men do start like 15 minutes before us, but um, I've never really had a bad experiences with them wanting to move out of the way and cheering us on. So um, I feel like it's just a good sport to be a female role, role model in because it's like a sort of a role model sport in that way. Is the prize money equal? It's equal, yes. And it's been equal since I started in 2016. And you mentioned that there is no governing body for the sport yet, but I, I feel like I remember, I follow some obstacle racers on, on uh, Instagram, and I feel like I remember maybe six months ago or something, there was some buzz, and I can't remember if it was, there was a governing body trying to form, or if there was like the pros were trying to unionize or something. Am I making this up, or has there been like There's traction actually, in that space? Yeah. There's two different things. So there is actually a governing body, but right now they don't control the rules. So I think they put on a few races over the last few years where there were like standardized rules with the hope of maybe when they go into Olympics, um, but they don't really have like a say right now in what the brands do. Um, so it's more like suggestions and guidelines, but not like this is what everybody has to follow. Um, and then there was also last year, um, a lot of the people tried to unionize and like make the Spartan racing contract a little bit better for the pro team athletes, because um, a lot of the times uh, people who are on the pro team, but they're maybe like not like winning every single race. Um, sometimes they don't really get as much travel money and things like that. So we just kind of unionize as athletes and try to see if we could make progress in that area because I feel like with the brands controlling the sport there's still a lot of like gap in communication between the athletes and people like deciding those things so that's just kind of the bridge we tried to get there's a little bit more communication and also like regarding the rules and everything so that things just become a little bit more standardized. And when you say brands controlling the sport and these pro teams so a pro team is like you are competing for a specific brand. Yeah, you're saying. Yeah, so I'm on the Spartan Pro team, so I compete in like Spartan gear and promoting the Spartan race. But it's okay. not like an obstacle course racing pro team. There's but no you can be it. like, can you be an unsponsored elite racer, or is everyone on a team? Uh, you can be unsponsored elite racer. Um, I feel like a lot of like prize money is really good in those races, so I feel like that's kind of how you can be like a professional athlete without being on the team. But um, it just helps to be part of something um it's like a really tight community too so that's the really nice part of it and then is this like running where then you can't have other sponsors or can you could you go get a nutrition sponsor or could you go get a different apparel sponsor or are you all in spartan pro team no that's actually nice like you can have other sponsors on the side and um so my main sponsor is actually a sand protein 
um, which has doesn't really have ties to Spartan Pro Team. Um, so it's it's nice in that way because otherwise it wouldn't be sustainable. So, Rhea, it's not too surprising to hear of your success if someone looks into your background. As you said, um, you were a gymnast. And so growing up, you were on the Slovenian national gymnastics team. And you've talked about in other interviews, practicing four hours a day, except for Sunday, extensive travel and things like that. And so looking at that success, that kind of dedication and drive and work ethic has, you know, brought you great things. But you did recently post on Instagram about one of the downsides that comes with the pressure in athletics which was struggling with an, with eating disorders for 20 years. So we're thankful that you were, you know, getting help with this and willing to share some of your experience with our listeners. And you've been addressing this since March, and you describe a lot of the ups and downs that go along with that. And so we know that, you know, this is a common struggle in sport. And just interested if you can share some of the steps that you took to start recovery so that maybe others who are struggling might be able to, like, find some guidance from them. Yeah, um, in a way, I feel like I never seeked help outside, and I wish I did, because I feel like then it wouldn't take 20 years, maybe it would take 10 or less. Um, but to me, it was just really hard to see where the line was between like, oh, I'm like a really healthy athlete right now, to like, this is an eating disorder. So for the longest time, I was like, oh, I don't eat sugar, I don't eat anything that has added sugar, I don't eat any sweets. Um, I only eat fruit if I want dessert. To me, for a long time, I saw this as, like, really, like, good habits. But, like, a lot of the times, like, I wouldn't go out with friends because I was like, well, I don't know if I can have my five apples for dessert afterwards. And just, like, really, like, things that are cut into your social life and cut into what should be, like, an enjoyment of food and not something you stress over. And I feel like I kind of realized this is like a really big problem when it kind of just over the past few years grew into this like full blown on bulimia. And I like saw my biomarkers, it it was showing in my biomarkers and everything. And I kind of knew that I wouldn't be able to do this forever in the way I was doing it. And I've kind of also, I found love in like other sports and like fun biking and like swimming and things like that. So I feel like that kind of led an outlet where I didn't have to, where I didn't feel like I had to be thin to be really successful. Um, and I feel like that combined with the, you know, 2020 being canceled, it finally gave me an opportunity to address this. So I feel like it was a combination of me realizing this is a problem and then having a downtime in races. Cause I expected my body to change and everything. And I just didn't want to have to show up at the start line in shorts and a sports bra. And I felt like, being judged like even though people probably wouldn't care but I would care and so this guaranteed period of not having to do that was probably the last step that I needed to really address it and then I reached out to my coach and I reached out and he like gave me some nutritionists that I could work with um Kylie which is awesome and that just kind of then solidified my desire to like change things and so we mentioned Amelia Boone earlier, who you're tied for the record for the world's toughest mutter, longest distance. She's spoken out about this at the same time or around the same, you know, in the past year. So is this something that is like a lot of people in obstacle ra- racing deal with men and women because there is a sort of a strength weight component, or maybe like you said, you're wearing shorts and a sports bra on a start line. Is that, is that kind of part of it? 
I think after I made a post about that, a lot of people have reached out to me with like, I'm dealing with the same thank you for posting. And in a way, it was like comforting knowing that you're not alone, but there were just so many that it was also kind of sad at the same time. And I feel like they came from all different sports, like people who are ex-gymnasts, people who are now in trail running, people who are now in like ski racing, um, people who are in obstacle course racing. So I feel like it just comes from anything where you have to climb basically anywhere where you have to fight gravity I feel like there's this notion that you have to be light um and I feel like that's just ingrained in I don't know years and years of that kind of thought and I really hope that people who admitted to having the problem can like show that that's not true so I'm hoping to like I know that when they once this like the whole like weight fluctuation and everything stabilizes, I know I'll be faster and I'm hoping that that can then help people to also make the change. And so you shared all of this with the world and there was also a race that was happening. You were like right about to, <laughs> to step into an actual race in the middle of 2020, which is hard to believe, but it did happen. You were racing in the Grand Traverse, which I actually, I was super interested as I was learning about this race. So it's a race where there's a run from Aspen to Crested Butte. And then the next day there's a mountain bike, I think like in reverse. And I think this might've been changed a little bit this year with COVID. So you'll have to tell us about that, but it looks like it's about 40 miles each way with 8,000 feet of elevation gain. And of course you're already at altitude with those cities. So it's, it seems like they had kind of invited some elite pro athletes to come in and take on, like, was everyone taking on the dual division? Were you... And that, so that would be where you are running Saturday and riding on Sunday. So how did that kind of like even unfold for you to get to the start line there? Yeah, usually is actually, usually it is from like trusted you to Aspen, but because of COVID, it just kind of stayed in one place this year. Um, and there's actually the third sport to it, which is the schema race. So that also goes like one way to another. Um, but I didn't do the schema, so I was only in the dual sport division. Um, I don't think they really invited anybody. I feel like it's just the only thing that's happening in Colorado. Okay, so maybe it looked like, like it because all races. the pro athletes I know racing, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I'm racing this. So I was like, man, they must have been like inviting people just to like see how they do. But okay, that's cool. That makes I sense. Was, I was speaking to the organizer and she was like, I started Googling all these names and like I realized we have like a massive field. <laughs> Um, and I feel like it was just one of those things like that, like everybody was excited just to do something. Um, and there were, I think, about 280 people in the run and about 150 in the bike and 42 registered for the dual sport. And when I checked, like at the end of the day, I think seven people have finished the dual sport. And I feel like the run was just so hard that I don't know if like there was people dropped off after the run or if they just didn't finish the bike in time. Um, but it took me nine and a half hours for the run and I was stopped 30 overall. So that means like 250 people took longer than that. Um, so it was pretty, it was pretty brutal. Um, and then knowing you have to go out the next day and do it all again on the bike. Um, it was just kind of intimidating that afternoon. <laughs> um, but in a way, like the run was like really, really hard for me. And in a way, like knowing that I really wanted to do the dual sport race um, kind of made me get through the run. And then on the bike, knowing how much run had hurt and like it just made the bike so much more enjoyable because I was like, I was passing people and I was like, how are you doing? And they're like, oh, I'm really tired. My legs hurt. And I'm like, my legs hurt too, but not as much as yesterday. So it just like kind of helps put things in perspective. Um, but I think ever since like doing the adventure race last year in September, 
I really like this like multi-sport challenges, which is how I ended in the dual sports in the first place. And this, the spoiler alert there, we you didn't say it to begin with, but you did win overall, male or female, for the dual division. Um, so did you like expect to, like, did you feel like you were competitive for that win going into the dual division? Um, or at what point did you kind of realize, like, was it on the bike when you started passing people that you're like, I guess, you know, maybe I'm I'm moving up here? Yeah, like I knew going into the bike that I was leading the women. I never even looked overall. Um, but I just kind of expected to feel really bad the second day. So I didn't really like hype myself up for anything. Um, but then I felt really great. <laughs> and so then at that point, like, I was like, oh, maybe like I can do really well. So I, the dual sport people had like red registration plates. So at the eight stations, I started asking like, have any red plates passed through? And so that's like when I realized I'm in the lead and then when nobody passed me, it was pretty cool. <laughs> And in an Instagram post pre-race that we've kind of alluded to, you said that you had one goal for this race to run with happiness and courage. And for every time your brain told you, you couldn't run fast anymore because you were heavier to silence those thoughts. Did you accomplish that goal? And did you have the mindset shift that you were hoping for? Yes and no. <laughs> I feel like I didn't, I didn't really have like the weight association with it, which it to make it like a really struggle day. But I feel like just, it was one of those races when like everything that could go wrong went, went wrong. So like my hydration, I like did a lot of things that I didn't test before. Cause this like 2020 has just been like a big adventure. So I like didn't quite test like race gear at all. Um, so like some things didn't like my hydration pack, like kept like clogging and not giving me any water. And then I got blisters like two hours in and like had like seven blisters by the finish, which I never get. I like had same socks and same shoes and same everything. And then like 10, I think it was 15 miles before the finish of the race, my contact folded back on my eye. So then I couldn't see on one eye. So it was just like a disaster of different things, which kind of kept my mind off of going into these like other thoughts. But it was just not a very fun race. It was just one of those things where you just, you know, like try to make the best of it and make it to the finish line. And so you've called 2020 a great big adventure, but we're pretty sure that 2019 was a big adventure for you as well. Um, even if the filming of it didn't come out until 2020, because as you said, you did a little adventure race last year, um, also called the Eco Challenge Fiji. And so you were on a team that placed second overall there. And your team consisted of one man who had extensive adventure racing experience um, and the rest of you did not. So... I don't think so, at least from my research, you know. Um, so what do you think was it that made your team so successful there? Yeah, it was actually half and half. So okay. our team captain and the person who was really good at paddling, um, they've adventure raced before and they were actually in Fiji before um, and weren't able to finish. So I feel like for them, it was sort of a redemption race. Um, they both went out because of a jungle raw, which is this foot infection that makes it feel like you're walking on like broken glass. Um, so they both had to drop out because of that. Um, and then me and Ryan, who are um, obstacle course racers and like just we do a lot of footer sports. Um, so Ryan actually invited me on the team. Um, but I think what made us really successful was that Ryan and I are like really driven towards finishing really well. And we both have done like the 24 hour races and like got ourselves into miserable situations. And we both know that 
we can like kind of stay positive throughout that. And then Scott and um, um, Scott and Bob, who are adventure racers, they had the experience and they also like knew how just how important foot care was in Fiji, which was like one of the main things that you had to be careful if you wanted to finish. Um, and I think as a team, we just happened to be like really positive. So I think that was just the luck of the draw that all of our personalities, like nobody started feeling like we all had our down points, but nobody really made that down point kind of encompass everything. And the rest of us were able to bring them back up before it affected the team. So I feel like that was one of the biggest things. And um, if nobody like had any injuries. Basically, our race was like fairly smooth compared to what I saw some other teams had to go through. Um, so I think I think those are the main things. And I did watch the uh, Amazon Prime show showing this the world's toughest race, Eco Challenge Fiji. You were on Team Canada, so it sounds like you were invited onto Team Canada because you're Slovenian, <laughs> living in Boulder, went to school in California <laughs> on Team Canada. Was that kind of funny for you? Yeah, I consider myself a flexible citizen when it comes to adventure. I will be whatever you need me to be for for it. And the rules were actually that three team members had to be of the same citizenship and then the fourth person could be whichever. So I was the honorary Canadian. <laughs> and if they at least on the show, they made it pretty sound seem pretty exciting toward the end. Like you team Canada was catching up to team New Zealand, which team New Zealand was all veterans had been racing together forever. And you, it seemed like you were catching up. Was that how it actually played out in real life? Sort of, except none of us knew it. Um, so before the fourth leg, which was, there were five legs. So on the fourth leg, we knew we were in second place and we saw, um, New Zealand on the other like you went like down this little hill and then you climb up the other side of the hill and it was in the dark so we saw their four headlamps climbing up the other side of the hill, hill and we we're like oh they're like maybe 45 minutes ahead of us at this point like we might catch them and then we got lost for five hours so then for five hours we were doing circles in like a tall grass and um, I feel like that just like kind of made us we thought we lost like 10 places um, but then when we got to the next next checkpoint we realized we didn't really lose any places but the teams behind us were now really close and they slept all night and we were walking around all night and we thought New Zealand was just like way ahead um but I feel like all of us had this like drive that we wanted to be on the podium more than we cared about anything at that point so we decided to just push through without sleep um and we just like really probably went to our limits because we all knew that other teams are fresher so we have to work harder um, but we had no idea where other teams were. And so once we got to the ocean, it was really dark. We were paddling that stretch to the finish line at night. So we couldn't see any other boats out there. So we had no idea that there were the um, New Zealand team was in front of us. We thought they were already finished, that they were already sleeping because we weren't, we, we weren't aware of their boat breaking down. So we had no idea how close it was. And we also had no idea that the Aussie team was 15 minutes behind us because we couldn't see their boat. So it was just one of those things when you're like on a wide open ocean and you just kind of hope that people didn't pass you and you didn't see them. Um, so it was it was very stressful because of that, but it wasn't stressful in a way that we tried to catch or escape from anybody because we didn't know they were there. <laughs> and so you 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 slipped, snuck in there that this doing this like final leg meant that you guys were pushing through getting no sleep in the last 60 hours, I believe. So that's right. What like 
Did you realize the weight of that decision, I guess, as it was happening? Because I'm just in my head thinking about 60 hours, like with no sleep. Three days. Yeah. I mean, that sounds crazy. And then to be knowing you're going to be getting into a boat in the middle of the ocean on no sleep. Like, I guess, you know, I have I have a lot of questions about this, but we'll start with like the danger aspect. Like, do you ever feel like it's dangerous, you know, and then. Do you have any tricks for sleep deprivation? Because I feel like you don't have your crew constantly there to be like feeding you guys like caffeine and Red Bull and all of these things. Like you just relied on your own self to stay awake. Like how did this all work? Yeah, um, I was scared, but not for myself. It, it's weird because in a way, you know how you feel. And I felt pretty awake. And so I knew I was fine. But you have three other team members that you have no control of and all four have to finish. So I was scared that somebody is going to fall asleep on the bike, that somebody is going to fall like or sprain an ankle. I was scared more for the things I couldn't control. Not that I don't trust the team, like we trusted each other 100%, but it's still kind of like I'm more scared watching people do scary things than me doing scary things because you can't control, you don't know what they're you don't know how they're feeling so I think that was definitely for me the the hard part um and the bottom bike section was like it it had like really really steep downhills and uphills so the crashing like even not sleep deprived like isn't really out of the question um and then on the open water the scary part was at that point we've also ran out of caffeine pills so (laughs) we had like nothing to keep us awake um and what, what I was scared of was like I would fall asleep and I would still paddle and so the person behind me didn't know I was asleep because I would still go through the same motion and so I was like if that happens to all of us at the same time we're just gonna drift away in the ocean and not know where we're gonna end because we had no anchor like the only way to to rest would be to go to an island and pull on shore um, and we didn't want to do that because that would just add to the journey and so one, one thing that actually works really, really well is putting a nun tablet and put it on your tongue and let it dissolve. And it's so annoying that you can't fall asleep when that's happening. So we just kind of like ate like 10 nun tablets on the way to the final island and ended up, I ended up with the worst acid reflux I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Our podcast is actually sponsored by Noon Hydration. So we are going to like have to plug that as like a potential like use of Noon, um, but maybe not, maybe only in extreme circumstances when you've been awake for 60 hours and you have to paddle across the ocean. Uh, like, I'm just sorry. I'm like, I'm like all in awe of all of this, but I don't even know what I was going to say, but I think I was just going to, I mean, like. Was this crazy for you to do 11 day adventure when you're so used to doing like 24 hours seems really hard. Like how did that compare doing it for 11 days? Did you like it going that long? It sounds like you were just totally fine with it. Oh, I absolutely loved it. Um, I, now I feel like when I did the grand traverse and I did the run, like it took me like 20 miles to warm up. So I feel like I need longer and longer stuff. But what I really liked about it was the multi-sport nature of it because it was never so long that you would hurt to the point of feeling like you're going to break. So usually things lasted between like eight to like maybe 12 hours the most. Um, at least for us, we finished in six days and 23 hours. So I think if you like, if you took longer, it probably last longer. But right when I felt like I couldn't do that activity anymore, it would switch. So like we would paddle for a really long time and then we'd mountain bike for a really long time. And while you're on mountain bike, your like hands start feeling good again. And then you track a little bit. And so it's just a lot of 
different muscle groups working and different sports. So in a way, you kind of you you kind of almost learn how to recover certain muscle groups while other ones are working. And it's also always pretty low intensity, so you never go like really full out sprint. Um, so in that way, I feel like twenty four hour races are hard in a different way because. It seems long 24 hours, but it's still short enough that you have to go pretty hard for the whole 24 hours. So walking, I could actually run two days after I fin finished the Eco Challenge, and I couldn't walk for like a week after finishing the 24-hour obstacle course race. So it's like, it's very different in that way. But it took probably a month for me to stop feeling like I want to sleep all the time after Eco Challenge. So it's just different systems that get really affected and need long recovery time. Did you like how the team was portrayed on TV? I'm assuming you watched it. I did. I don't think they showed us very much. <laughs> they, did. yeah. they didn't show you very much. Um, <laughs> I kind of expected that to happen just because we weren't expected to do well. Um, and we weren't one of the story teams. So I, don't, I think had we not finished second, they probably wouldn't show us at all. Um, but in a way, I feel like just keep showing up and keep doing well, and eventually they're going to give you airtime. <laughs> and Rhea, I did listen to an interview where you said that you are really hoping your team gets picked to return to Eco Challenge in Patagonia next year, where hopefully you would get more airtime coming in as one of the, the main competitors. And you said that you'd already started training as if you had. And so I checked out some of the information for people who are racing, and you're expected to have some you know, base knowledge of various skills to make sure people are like prepared and that sort of thing. And one of those skills is horseback riding. So have you begun <laughs> to train that sport yet? I'm actually lucky. I have a friend in Vancouver who has a farm with horses. So she very generously offered to show our team how to do it. Um, we're just waiting for the borders to open. So um, it's one of those things that I feel like we don't really have to train for it very much. We just have to kind of know how to do it so we don't get injured. Um, but I feel like it's just one of those things where you're not going to get a team who's that's like their main thing. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> and I'm assuming you applied with the same team, Team Canada again? Yes, absolutely. We have unfinished business. <laughs> do you feel like Patagonia, I mean, that's quite a different environment than Fiji, do you think that would give you an advantage, the cold? I mean, you live in Boulder. You just did a race that was more high altitude. I don't know if Patagonia is necessarily high altitude, but it's definitely going to be colder than Fiji. Yeah, I feel like I deal with the heat really well. Um, with a cold, I get cold fairly easily, and I get really miserable, and I want to quit when I'm really cold. So one thing I want to really do is like make sure I have the right gear. Um, because for the 24-hour races, one year, it was like 26 degrees, and we had water obstacles, and I was absolutely miserable until I put on like this really thick neoprene wetsuit, and then I was like fine and happy for the other like 18 hours. But that like really taught me the importance of the gear, so I think that will be a little bit trickier because in a way in Fiji, all I needed really once was neoprene top, but the rest was just like shorts and a t-shirt. And that's not going to be the case in Patagonia. So I think it adds a layer of complexity to it. Um, but I'm, I really love mountains. So I'm really excited to do some like proper mountaineering and glacier travel and just things like that. So it's exciting in that way. Have you done glacier travel yet? That's one thing that like seems quite terrifying to me. 
I went one to Alaska and I got this really nice hike <laughs> with a guide. And that's the extent of my glacier travel experience. So um, that's like another thing that I'll have to learn um, this year. And I know that um, at least Ryan is pretty experienced in it. So we're going to do some team training a lot more than last year. Um, and I, before Fiji, I never mountain bike in my life and I got a mountain bike in April and by September I knew how to do it. So I'm hoping, hoping the learning curve will be similar. <laughs> that cold water swim in Fiji, I watched it on TV. How bad was that? You, is that where you wore the neoprene? You had a neoprene top for that cold water swim. Did you know that was coming? Cause I never would have guessed there was like really cold water in Fiji. They warned us that at some point we'll be really cold and we'll maybe want to want something. And so we all figured looking at the map, this might be the section. So I brought the neoprene top just in case. And I don't think I would have finished it if I didn't have that. Because even with that, I got so cold to the point where I like couldn't really swim anymore because everything was just kind of getting stiff. And towards the end of it, I don't think I don't like none of us could still speak in like really coherent sentences. So I feel like we were all on the verge of hypothermia. And we were there during the day when it wasn't raining. So I feel like for the teams that were there at night with the rain, it was probably just misery compounded. (laughs) Rhea, this question is skipping gears a little bit, but we talked to women who have kind of taken a leap to leave the quote real world and pursue their sport or their passion. And you're no different, even, you know, if your sport isn't triathlon just yet, at least. So what advice would you give people who are kind of on the brink of a decision like that and, you know, wondering what they should do? I feel like you have a lot of, you have long time in life to do the quote unquote, like standard way of doing things, but you probably have just one chance to be a full-time athlete. And I feel like if that offer, that opportunity presents to you, I think you should take it. And usually, even if you don't really have a plan, things either work out or you had a great learning experience and you tried something that now you will never say, I wish I did that. So I think to me that was the biggest thing was like I have this one chance and if I don't take it now I'm never going to have it again Um, and then see what happens. (laughs) Rhea, I love your perspective and you just seem like the kind of person who can figure things out most any way that they come out but you mentioned swimming earlier so I just wanted to issue an open invitation from myself and Alyssa and the whole Ironman community that if you decide that you know, six days is just not your thing. And you want to go a little bit shorter. Iron Man would love to have you. So if, <laughs> if Iron Man's ever in your future, you know, I think you'd be great at it. And we would love to see you on a start line. It just, you know, something for you, you to consider. Actually, every time I'm injured and I can't run and I start swimming, I'm like, maybe I should do this. And then I start running again and then I stop swimming. <laughs> but maybe one day I'll actually keep up both. And um, I'm never going to say no to trying something new. I'll take you up on that. <laughs> yeah, definitely keep us posted. We think you would you would be definitely great at it. And but thank you for taking time. Um, you know, getting to find out more details about Eco Challenge is always fun, and hearing about any race in 2020 is also exciting for all of us. So we were able to like <laughs> yeah. live vicariously for that. But thank you, Raya, for taking the time. And again, for our listeners, um, make sure you check out Eco Challenge, uh, the world's toughest race on Amazon Prime. And Raya, what's the best way for everyone to follow you? Um, Instagram is probably the best. Um, my username is just Freya Koval, Um, and I try to respond to any messages I get through there. So that's the best one. Haley, do you know what I'm doing when I'm feeling kind of down? What do you do, Alyssa? 
I go to gooder.com forward slash feisty, the live feisty curated collection on the Gooder sunglasses website. And I read the fun names of all the sunglasses. Ooh, do you have a current favorite? I think today I'm going with Kitty Hawker's Ray Blockers. Oh, nice pick from the new Mach G line. Going for a run in a pair of teal aviators would make me so happy right now. Happiness really might be a pair of no slip, no bounce, polarized sunglasses in fun colors with a fun name. Happiness is also sunglasses that start at just $25 a pair. So all of our listeners should go to gooder.com forward slash feisty to see our favorites and find their own. That's G-O-O-D-R.com forward slash F-E-I-S-T-Y. Be sure to check out the virtual try-on feature while you're there. And of course, look good, run gooder. Twenty twenty, what a year. But Haley, it hasn't been all bad. Okay, Alyssa, tell me what's good about twenty twenty. Well, Iron Women partnered with Form Swim Goggles. The pandemic has made pool time really tough, but that hasn't stopped me from seeing my swim splits, pace, and heart rate in real time thanks to the display in the eye cup of my Form Swim goggles. That's right. And you've spent the past couple of months alternating between a backyard pool, a public pool, and even an open water quarry, right? Yep. The Form Swim goggles now even work in open water. You can track your GPS in a lake, ocean, and even a quarry and see it all in the Form Swim app. Okay, you've convinced me. Thanks to Form, maybe there can still be some swim highlights in 2020. For $199, you get a pair of Form's smart swim goggles, adjustable nose bridges to fit any face, and a fancy zipper carrying case. You can check it all out at formswim.com. Well, Haley, I think if uh, Eco Challenge Patagonia happens in 2021, we are going to have a lot of women to cheer for out there. Yeah, we have we have Rhea, we have Sonia Wick from uh, who raced in Fiji as well, and then Simone Meyer from New Zealand slash Germany who didn't get into Fiji but would be a top competitor in in uh, Patagonia for sure. And, and Alyssa Gadeski is is she on the list? <laughs> I wish I really do I wish and I wonder I have to wonder if Abby Perkis um has put you know I'm sure like maybe thrown her name in with a, a rootstock racing team right that's so true. Abby was like our original foray into adventure racing and now we are like iron women slash adventure racing podcast <laughs> <laughs> we could we should actually feel we should like call these four women and be like actually just to let you know you have to dump your team and you're forming the iron women podcast adventure racing team and maybe 2022 um, we'll make some calls 2022 yeah. <laughs> we all just be i'll be the like support crew person that goes with them and does the um the like iron women live will be my job while i'm there in the transition zones but then i'll also be helping with the transition stuff because you'll be you know, out there with like why. bear grills like jumping out of helicopters <laughs> that would be kind of fun i would i would do that job that would be pretty nuts. I would. Yeah. I mean, I'm available Bear Grylls if you if you need anyone. <laughs> Perfect. Well, just in case our listeners didn't catch that at the beginning, the uh, Cook Like a Pro event with Hannah Grant and Sarah True is happening this weekend, October 10th. It's free. It's happening at 11 a.m. Pacific time. You can go to uh, the show notes to find out the link to sign up, get your get all your ingredients ready, get that oven preheated and cook like a pro. And Alyssa will be there too. And you can tell me about it afterwards. <laughs> Maybe I, I would love someone to come cook for me and then I would eat like a pro. I mean, 
everyone has their job and their their best place, Haley. So I can do the cooking and then I'll just mail it to you in Bozeman and you can tell me how it is when it gets there. Deal. Alyssa, have a fantastic week. I will talk to you soon. Bye, Haley. Triathlon is certainly hard on your skin, without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Zelio Skincare, Noon Hydration, Orca Sportswear, Gooder Sunglasses, as well as our Live Feisty Patreon community. You can find all website links and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomenpodcast.com. Oh, 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 o